Welcome to Salty Conversations, podcast of Saltbush uniting the scattered community. This is number two in a series of six conversations in Christian community. Our guest today is the Reverend Dr. Peter Walker, Principal of the United Theological College in North Parramatta. I'm Jeff Wellington, one of the Saltbush community ministers. So a very warm welcome to you all. Um, conversations in Christian community. It's uh, an exciting opportunity to chat with people and to explore what Christian community looks like uh, for us today in this time and in this place. And so we welcome along Reverend Dr. Peter Walker, who's the principal of United Theological College. It's really great to have you along, Peter, and uh, really looking forward to the conversation. Got to know Peter while I was in Canberra Region Presbytery, and uh, it's been really great to um, be able to interact with Peter as he's become the principal at the college and um, how things are changing there. So today's conversation, we're going to explore a bit about um, Christian community, of course, and a bit about how education and formation helps us to understand what Christian community is like and what's happening for for the college at the moment and what's some of those changes that might help us to explore what what that's like for us as well. So welcome, Peter. It's uh, great to have you along. Um, I think we've got you unmuted now, so you're going to be able to talk as well. Terrific so, to be with you. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah. So tell, tell us a little bit about yourself, Peter, so people will get to know who you are. And, um, Good. Yeah. Well, first, uh, look, thanks so much, all of you, for being interested to, to come and join the conversation. And thanks, Jeff, for the invitation. Um, I'm a Uniting Church Minister, Minister of the Word, and was ordained in 1999. Um, I uh, currently am principal of the Theological College. Um, prior to that, was acting, here's a little sort of few bullet points, acting Executive Director of the Australian Centre for Christianity and Culture in Canberra and then Assistant Director of, of a Public Theology Research Centre in Canberra. Um, prior to that, served in three different ministry settings, two in congregations and, and one in a university chaplaincy. Um, I ha Sarah has just brought me this cup of tea, my wife Sarah. Uh, we have four children, one dog, two budgies and a cat. Uh, I'm sitting in North Rocks in Sydney as we speak. Um, and that's about 10 or 15 minutes drive from the college campus, which is in North Parramatta, as, as I'm sure many of you know. Um, those are the kind of boring things, to be honest. Maybe the interesting things about me, um, I, I love the things I love. I love being a dad. Uh, I love playing with a dog. I love being in the surf. Uh, I love reading. I love going to the cinema. I love, I love, I have a curious kind of disposition. So I kind of, I just love, um, I love meeting people, learning about people, uh, finding out interesting things about life and the world. Um, I used to love playing sport, but I'm at that age where that's a, um, that's a happy memory rather than a present reality. Um, how am I going, Jeff? Is that a, yeah. A reasonable, reasonable sounding yeah, little bit of bio. That's a bit of an overview of um, some of the things you've been involved with and currently involved yeah. with. That's great. Mm. So, Peter, I wonder, um, I wonder what's influenced you and shaped you in in your journey of life and faith uh, around Christian community. Yep. Um. I'd be remiss if I didn't say I grew up in a family where Christian faith was 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 a lived reality, but never something that was uh, imposed upon me. Uh, so parents and parents uh, Methodist stock, uh, and uh, really sort of committed to their to the reality of, of their faith, and um, not in a um, what should we say? In a, not in a in a surface way. It was it's been something deeply part of my family life. So my first sense of of Christian community and truth is observing the people who who loved me and who I love, uh, having 
found something meaningful for their life in the Christian faith. Um, I was never made to go to Sunday school, never made to go to church. Uh, it was something I engaged in um, in my own way when I was ready. Um, I wasn't really, in, in actual fact, I wasn't confirmed till I was 25 years of age into membership of the church, but it was very much part of my life in my family. Um, in terms of this, the structures of the church, I probably I'm sort of getting to that age where I talk a bit frankly, and uh, forgive me if I if I do that. Um, I'm really turned off by religion, and I, I always have been, um, and I'm I'm really turned off by the idea of Christianity institutionalised into into a religion, um, and I think probably that's a a legacy of the kind of childhood that I'm describing where I was taught to think for myself and be inquiring about the things that I wanted to be committed to. Um, so that my, my deepest and fondest and most meaningful and influential experiences of church have been people. Um, and I know that that sounds like just an obvious thing, but in actual fact, um, it's probably taken me to this sort of 50-ish years of age to register that, um, that that all that I've come to know about Christian community has been imbibed um, from from people for whom that community was was the source of their of their loves, the source of their energies, uh, the source of their relationships. So when I talk about Christian community, I'm, I'm not meaning, I mean, I work for the church, I'm an ordained minister of the church, uh, I sit in committees of the church all the time, and I, I'm devoted to the church. I do mean that truly. But church as institution and, and religion is something I've always felt uncomfortable about. But community, so community to me means people. That's um, um, Peter, perhaps um, I might jump in there for a moment. Perhaps that's. Um, yep an area we might explore a bit more as well. Like what you're explaining is quite a shift, isn't it, in, in a societal understanding about church and where where the church sits in, in yeah. the life of, our, of us and mm. the rest of the community. Yeah, it's a good point, Jeff. I think some of the way, one of the reasons why we're a bit lost, and I'm, I include myself in that, about what it means to be church in the present is because uh, it's not an exaggeration to say for 1,500 years or thereabouts, the church as institution and the, in the West has um, told us exactly what the church is and what it should look like, what it should do, who will be in charge and who won't. Um, and so that the end of that Christendom model, not to kind of want to use insider language, but, you know, that notion of, of Christianity from the time of Constantine through to, say, about a generation ago, um, where, where the culture that surrounded the church was in actual fact very porous with the church. Um, ministers were people respected in the community. We knew what the Christian narrative was. The Christian rituals were meaningful, not just inside the Christian community, but to the wider culture. So church as institution has been a, a the railway tracks along which the church has travelled and it sort of told us exactly what we are to be. I think it's an interesting time to be the church now because that's those that's fallen away. Or well, it's an exaggeration, isn't it? But it but it's it's being so transformed that in in thoughtful Christian communities, and I'm sure this saltbush community is one of them, we're thinking about the fact that the reality is we need to be be pondering what it means to be the church differently than we have in that era when it's been just institution, institution, institution. Yeah. Yeah. And even even as a society, isn't it? Like I think um, in the past, society generally has taken its, um, its cue in that sense about how it forms, um, you know, not just Christian community, but a wider sense of being community um, from the church and its pronouncements about how it, how it sees and views the world, hasn't it? Mm. Yeah, I'm just reading and, and, and loving what Peter Powell's just popped into the chat. <laughs> Thanks, Peter. Yeah, it, because it is. It's, it's, uh, if I could just 
stick with that for one moment. Yeah, if it's it's too naive to say um, Christianity is not a religion, you know, there's a broader discussion around that. Um, there's something important about the organised organised community. Um, now you'll have to repeat your question again, just because I was so interested in what I was reading. I mean, <laughs> yeah. So I was thinking, like, it's not it's not just the church that um, experienced the shift, is it? The yeah. wider the wider community, otherwise the society, has also mm. in the past actually taken its cues from the church. It's like mm. a, a framework around what it understood as community or as society has come very strongly from the church. And that's not the case any longer. The church doesn't sit at the centre of that that discourse within the broader society. Mm. You know, I think it's it's a loss. Uh, I don't think it's exaggeration to say it's it's a loss that both are experiencing, even if they don't recognise it. I think there's a um, there's a loss to the community of the church's voice um, of, of of the Christian. Uh, confession into the public space and I think there's a loss to the church of its sense of identity in some ways um, and and that I mean that's a critical question to me I might say what what is the I how does the church find its identity um, in the, in a post Christendom time um, the our identity is not defined for us by our space within society where it had been in the past we have to remind ourselves again that our identity is not actually as institution, even though we do need to organise ourselves in such a way. That's not our identity. Our identity is found in the one whom we follow. Um, yes, and, and that's, yeah. um, I, that's sort of the point that Peter's making, isn't it? It's about um, we've got a sense of movement and somebody who we follow who, who the scripture reminds us about what that is about and but then we actually organize ourselves isn't it like that that's the reality of yeah. coming together as christian community and how do we I think, how do we then restructure ourselves how do we reinvent ourselves to bring life and vitality back to a sense of movement within new structures that continue to give life yeah maybe a way of of framing that again a little bit blunt is to say generally people generally speaking people committed to an institution believe in the institution people committed to a movement believe in the cause and and i think we've sort of there's nothing wrong there's something powerful about reminding ourselves that christianity is not a religion it's a movement yeah and it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be organised and we don't need synods and press trees and all those wonderful things that drive us a bit crazy, but maybe they need to be there. But but when they forget that we're part of a movement for which people gather around a cause and and just exist for the sake of the institution, then I, I, I lose my ability to identify with the church. In other words, I feel like the church is losing its identity or it's not the identity that I think of Christian community being, and therefore I don't identify. I don't identify with that because it's not really part of what I think is the identity of the church. So movement, believing in a cause, institutions, they sort of, people tend to commit to the institution. Yeah. 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 I wonder, I wonder, Peter, have you experienced times in your life and uh, with other people where there's been an expression of, of something like that. Um, I'm, I'm pleased to say, almost weekly. You know, I have that experience. I, I truly do because, um, I guess, one of the downstream effects of what I'm saying is that, to me, Christian community is about people. Is I feel like where wherever one or two are gathered, you know, in Christ's name, there is the church, and so. Not for a minute do I want to say I've, I feel bereft of experiences of what it means to be part of Christian community. In fact, I, I give thanks for the fact that I experience it so frequently. Um, um, yeah, so you, you might be after a grand story, Jeff, of some great movement or, or a <laughs> groundbreaking Christian activity 
that that gave me a sense of what Christian community is. But I would just when I'm sitting with someone um, and we're 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 unloading the reality of life to each other, conversing, um, but most particularly, you know, someone's breaking a piece of bread and raising a cup or opening the Bible. That 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 for me, that simple experience is the food is that's my daily bread really that keeps me going yeah yeah there's been um lots of debate um peter uh on, online in the last few months around um you know COVID 19 and um we've become a we've come church online to a large extent um you know we haven't really been gathering together and there's been lots of debates not so much in our own denominational heritage, I suppose, but in some of the more Episcopal-based uh, church structures, the, the idea of um, celebrating the sacraments and what does it actually mean to be a church that's actually online? And I wonder whether you might want to comment about, um, you know, what, what are the challenges for us when we form Christian community online, um, particularly thinking about those those challenging things around celebrating the Eucharist. Yeah. Well, um, I'm, I, as I said, I'm not, not shy to share. I was asked by the Assembly, National Assembly, for an opinion when they were considering what to do about uh, <laughs> celebrating Eucharist online. And so forgive me if I'm going to offend anyone here, but I, my, my word to the Assembly was I thought that was a mistake. And I set out why I thought that would be... not Anyway, not my... I was worried about it. Um, it, look, the church is forever evolving and changing the way it does things, that's for sure. But the thing that made me apprehensive about uh, Holy Communion online was simply, in fact, an ancient and important factor when it comes to sacrament is, is, is it, it, there's a bit of freight in this phrase, excluding people from the sacrament. Um, and my concern about people not being able to participate in the sacrament simply because, for example, they might not have the IT skills or might not have a computer. <laughs> now, that's a modern, a strangely modern take on a very old question for the church is how do we ensure that uh, that we don't exclude people from broken bread, raised cup, open Bible? Um, so the online communion, I expressed the view that I thought that it, we were better, in fact, to abstain, uh, better to be raised in our awareness what a precious thing it is to gather as in, in each other's enfleshed presence around a table and prayerfully, uh, longingly await the day when we could do that again. Now, the Assembly was so impressed with my advice, they, they went the other way. <laughs> but, but I can respect why they have made that decision. Yeah, and I guess it's, I guess it's a bit of a, a balancing act, isn't it? If if the concern is around, um, then some some not being able to participate, then is it better then for everyone not to participate? Is is there a sense of um, you know starving for in that sense? Um, do we feed the people as we can? Um, yeah, what, what's yeah, the I guess my yeah, yeah. Perhaps the um, without articulating it uh, in any profound way, I think the underlying theological position for me is that the, the least of these should be our greatest concern. And therefore, I don't mind going without the sacrament uh, in order for us just to, in, in a sense, to, to really actually, for that to be emblematic of the fact that I'll partake again when I know that even the person who's shut in a nursing home or or who can't afford a computer will have a piece of bread put in her hand or his hand. Um, and again, I don't, I don't mean to be too hard on the National Assembly. God bless them in their good work. Um, because there is, there is a really um, very reasonable and theologically warranted argument for continuing the celebration of Holy Communion online as well. Uh, mm. Yeah. Now let's, uh, so Saltbush has um, taken the position of celebrating and inviting those who wish to participate 
um, to do that. Um, so Peter's yeah. um, so Peter Peter Powell's asking a question then about um, so is our current institution a form of Gnosticism, where to know replaces to call, live by faith and not knowing? Does the power of knowing as institution become the sin that prevents renewal of the movement? Yeah, good question, Peter. So, it, um, and, and feel free to redirect me if I'm on the wrong wrong route here, but what I resonate in what you're saying there is this, again, in a sense, the way in which we Commitment to Christianity is, in fact, a commitment to something greater than that which we can ever understand and certainly greater than and should always be greater than that which we can ever control. But the great human temptation, isn't it, Peter, and, and this is a thinking out loud, is that that which is greater than us both fascinates us and scares us. I'm sort of fascinated. I am absolutely fascinated by, by God. And I'm a bit scared by God. Um, and may, maybe humanity as a whole, our, our response to something that scares and fascinates is we want to try and control it. And so a way of controlling is, is that we will diminish that which is so transcendent as to be beyond our comprehension. We, we diminish it into a system of morality or a set of religious propositions to which someone has to give mental assent, uh, or a particular tradition of piety and worship. And we say that is the Christian faith. So probably in the, in the West, since the Enlightenment in particular, the great, maybe the great uh, manifestation of that, I think probably, Peter, is, is that we want to rationalise the faith, isn't it? We want to say we can... We understand God, we can, and therefore we feel a bit in control of God because here are the nine points that we believe are, are, the, are the truth. Um, I'm not saying that creeds and confessions are without their place because they give us the, they set the parameters around which we, we swim in, in God's being. Um, but yeah, I think there's a form of Gnosticism, a form of, of, so that sort of wisdom, that secret wisdom that you can, you know, grasp uh, at work. That was a long speech, but I hope it got got onto some of the stuff that we're thinking about. Yeah. So Peter, um, the synod and the college um, have been starting to to reshape how education formation might happen in um, in the life of our synod. Mm. And I wonder whether you might just start to talk to us then about. The role of um, of ministers and um, leaders within our church, um, you know, what what does that what do people in those sorts of roles bring to Christian community, and why is it so critically important? Mm. Thanks, Jeff. Um, yeah, this is a really good and I think important conversation to be having in the church. Is is what we understand, and I'm taking your question to in terms of formation, where my responsibilities lie around formation for people for the ordained ministries. I am a, a, an absolutely devoted uh, to the Uniting Church understanding that we all have a ministry. Um, and but so, so that, hear me talking now about ordained ministry, but not ignoring other ministries. Um, it's been interesting to me coming into this role. I'll start with a little story. I hear so many people saying we really need good leadership from our ministers. Now, we, we need leadership. Um, and I think we need to be careful about what what's happening there. Is There can be, yes, I think the church needs leadership. Um, but ministry is, a, the ordained ministry is, about offering a particular form of leadership to the life of the church. And so I think of, so here I am in a particular role where I'm thought of as a church leader, I guess, but I actually think my, as an ordained minister, my, my leadership to the life of the church comes 
to come back to something I said a little while ago, actually comes when when I raise a cup or when I open a Bible or when I break a piece of bread. I'm ordained in order to nourish the faith of the church by uh, opening Bible, breaking bread, raising a cup, by keeping us faithful uh, to those uh, things that give us life. Um, so in terms of, um, I, I guess I should break down your question into a word about what's changing at the college, but that, that's just an introduction to say, one of the things I'm, I'm hoping just personally to do is to reawaken the, um, among candidates, not to say that they don't have already, a recognition of the, of the precious responsibility that ordained ministers have of, of, of holding up the word both in, in, in the Bible and in, and, and in communion before the church to nourish us all with that. Um, so changes to formation. There are some changes to the structures of the way in which people are formed for ministry. Not substantial, but in particular, the most important one, and the th one I think which will help the church most into the future is um, an increased opportunity for people to undertake their formation for ministry without necessarily being Sydney-based. So prior to this time, it was very much the case that most people who felt called to ministry and the church re responded and says yes, would come to Sydney and, and do their study and their formation at the college. Into the future, there'll be more opportunities for people that undertake their formation while not, not being based in Sydney, but rather they might be at Wagga or at Port Macquarie or wherever they happen to be. And secondly, just ensuring that we bring into uh, people's preparation for ministry a bit more field-based learning. Um, most people who prepare, I'm not wanting to equate ministry with social work or ministry with nursing, but there, there are some good analogies here. Most people who are preparing to be social workers or preparing to be nurses do quite a lot of their preparation for that profession um, in field-based settings, that is on the job. And I suspect we're a bit, we haven't um, allowed enough space for that in the preparation of people for ministry. Um, so my hope, and it's certainly the moderator and his review team's hope, <laughs> is that I will move a bit more field-based learning into the way in which we prepare people for ministry. Actually, I personally am very committed to that. Um, it's a balancing act because it seems like the other side of that should be, well, less time study, less time in university life, less academic stuff. I'm kind of hoping, maybe naively, to have, have my cake and eat it too. <laughs> I still think it is profoundly important that people preparing for ministry have a really strong biblical and theological infrastructure set in place. Um, and... and we as a, in the Uniting Church who really uphold the importance of an informed faith and commit ourselves to a thoroughly educated ministry should, should be hanging on to that. But I think we can do both. I think we can also ensure that candidates don't just go to university. Uh, they, they also uh, learn on the job in ministry settings. Yeah, and perhaps Peter... Perhaps you might want to talk a little bit more then about um, that sense of ministry as being rather than doing within the life of Christian community and how that how that's so critical to a sense of forming Christian community. If we're going to capture mm -hmm. that, you know, the essence of, of movement, although we still have some structure around that, but how do we how does the that sense of ministry as um, movement and, and the critical role that ministers play in that space of just being. Yeah, I wonder if I can embarrass you and Mark by saying one of the <laughs> things I love to see in the life of the church at the moment, you and Mark are actually embodying what I think is really very much what the ordained ministry might look like into the future. That is the presence of a being, a person who who is who is ordained, but yet um, uh, moves among the community, uh, is not in a sense localized in a building, 
not not set in an institutional sort of space, but moving among people, breaking bread, opening Bible, having sharing conversations, nourishing people in their faith by your presence, not because you hold a particular office or you stand up the front in a white robe every Sunday morning. Um, I actually think it probably, I really, um, I was probably 10 years into my ministry before I realised that uh, ministry is about or is is about who you are, so much more than what you do or where you stand or you know how good you sound on a Sunday morning, and uh, so so the what what the church looks like in the future is hard to say. That's a question I'm sometimes asked, as you can imagine. I'm not quite sure what the institution will look like, but I know it cannot survive without people set aside, not not more special as people, but set aside with the special responsibility of being ordained to uphold the faith among community as part of their being, as well as what they do. So, so Peter, how does, how does some of the history of the church and the experience that the church has had through the centuries actually help us to, to unpack what that looks like? Mm. Mm. Yeah. It's good to uh, sort of bring the telescope back and remind ourselves of that sort of 2,000-year history of the church. I mean, we've just had some readings from Acts in the lectionary, thinking about the, the early life of the church. The church has gone through significant transitions in history and taken on a vast array of shapes and forms. So I actually find the most important, thinking again about forming people for for ordained ministry, I personally hope to uh, set a light in them, not that it might not already be light, and in the wider church, a, a, a big historical imagination, you know, and a big theological imagination for what the church has been like in the past and what it might be like in the future. So, um, your, I'll come back to Saltbush community again as as an example of um, a, a church community, a community of Christian disciples, which looks quite different from what we today think the church should look like. But it's, it's not in a, actually, it's perhaps, you know, well, that's an exaggeration. It's, it's very much the form of Christian community that goes back right to the early church except that we're sitting here on a computer screen and, uh, <laughs> and doing it in this way at the moment. Uh, it itinerant people moving among different towns, villages, households, breaking bread around someone's dinner table rather than in, in a sanctuary. Um, what you're doing now is what the church has looked like in many places at many times throughout its history. So enlarging our imagination for what Christian community looks like is one of the gifts to us even though it feels like a hardship one of the gifts to us of the, the of the loss of institutional respect for the church in the community and, and a bit of a loss of our place as institution one of the gifts is we can recover what it really means to be christian followers in community yeah yeah, yeah. and if, even at the risk um even at the risk to ourselves you know like the some of the history of the church in that early part of the of its um, existence was about how Christians actually looked after each other, um, even to the risk of their own well-being at times. Mm. Yep. Um, the uh, well, I mean, I'm not expecting anyone in the Saltbush community to be martyred, uh, but there were there are, <laughs> as you know, <laughs> as you know, there are store there are. Um, I mean, so precious, so precious was the news that the early Christians believe they have been entrusted to share the world that they, and, and, and for which they supported each other. That's, that's what they understood their purpose to be, to maintain the gospel message alive in the world. And so precious was that message to them that people gave their lives for it. Um, and people do it today around the world. So 
Yeah, the the um, you're right to remind us of that, Jeff. Yeah. As I sit here in my comfortable study in North Rocks. Yeah, and and all of us um, to have internet access to to be in this forum, we we sit in a in a privileged position um, in comparison to to much of the world. Um, I've been attending the festival of homiletics um, during the week at, in from the United States through the magic of the internet as well. And yeah. that's been fascinating um, to hear people from a completely different cultural setting to ours. Um, and one of the things that, that was coming through quite strongly for me was, was people's capacity, particularly in the African-American community, to speak into the political sphere, not in, not in a party political space, but in a, in a this, is, this is God's justice. This is, this is how God actually understands the world and what justice actually looks like. And it, and it strikes me um, that they, they have this capacity to, to talk about politics in the personal sense and how, how we structure life and community. Um, as being, and that seems to me to be a really critical skill around ministry and what ordained ministry brings to that. Yeah. Yes, it's definitely the case that um, the ordained ministry, ordained ministry, and all church leadership is 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 about framing um, our narrative, framing our Christian story, framing our Christian witness in ways that ensure that uh, our, our message, who we are, and the story we have to share is, is meaningful, yeah. both within the community and beyond. Um, and and that's, that's a challenge, and it's particularly a challenge now that our, our narrative and our story, that is the Christian message, is, so, is far less known in our society than it was... At, say, a couple of generations ago. In the United States, of course, they have a, a much, historically, a much stronger tradition of there being a public presence of the Christian, uh, of Christian leaders and of, of the Christian message, uh, and that remains the case today in all sorts of strange ways, as well as in really prophetic and powerful ways. Yeah. I guess it provides an opportunity, though, doesn't it, it, it in a society that, no longer knows that story um, and comes with all the assumptions uh, and baggage that, that have come possibly over the centuries to, to retell that, to retell the gospel story in a way that's actually engaging. And, and maybe the, I've actually think this, this, the hardship that people are experiencing in this COVID-19 period can help us to reframe that, how we, Speak of ourselves and and of our message because I imagine that I I certainly have and I imagine for most of us this period of time has been a reminder of that which actually is really important about the life of the church and I'll start with with what it's taught me is not important our buildings are not as important as our relationships our 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 institution is not as important as our communities and in truth the things we do. Uh, and have always done that way, and we're never 100% sure, we can't quite remember why we do them that way, we open our eyes to the fact that they're not maybe as important as as bearing witness to, to relationship and community and the hope of the gospel. Yeah. So um, there are all sorts of connectors for the church into the wider community when we think about what really what we are on about is relationships, community, and hope. And without dumbing down the particulars of the Christian message, which are about the birth, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, without losing that, if we take that down to the level of relationships, community and hope, then, then that's a bridge for our message to be meaningful into the world. Peter, I wonder whether there are some books and um, people who you would encourage others to to read a bit more about um, some of this conversation? 
Oh, goodness me. Yes. Thank you, Jeff. So um, <laughs> uh, what I could say is a few influential for me. I wouldn't presume to, to land this on folks. Uh, I can see my esteemed colleague, Mike Mawson, uh, as part of this conversation. I'll say this without uh, any reference to Mike. Early, early on, I was strongly influenced by Dietrich Bonhoeffer and, and um, his notion of, of the, the way in which one becomes a Christian and to use his phrase, forgive the genders, to become a Christian and a man to become a to become a Christian disciple is about turning to the world and giving yourself for the sake of the world. So perhaps when you hear me saying, "Look, I'm not as much into the institution as I am into people and community," then there's a bit of Bonhoeffer there. Um, I went away and did some study and uh, with a Canadian theologian, Douglas John Hall. If really really highly recommend reading Douglas John Hall. Um, uh, what's a good way to go? Two little books by Douglas John Hall. Why Christian for those on the edges of faith? Why Christian for those on the edges of faith? And um, more recently, a, a book simply called What Christianity Is Not. Um, I really highly recommend both of those for a couple of reasons. They're short books. I like, a sh I like someone who can say concisely, what needs to be said. Uh, and secondly, he specifically sets out to try and talk of how can the church have a meaningful message for the world now that we are no longer the institution that everyone looks to and respects. Yeah. Thanks, Peter. That, that sounds really great. We'll, um, we'll put them in, uh, remind you of those uh, titles uh, during the week when we get another invitation. And Michael will get a chance to have his, his say uh, a little bit later in the next few weeks, so that'll be great. Looking forward to, to that Good. conversation too. Peter, perhaps um, it's time to open up the conversation to others. We've been hogging the conversation here pretty well. Um, so everybody, um, if you can work out how to raise your hand in the Zoom process, that, that'd be great, but um, if you can't, then, then wave at me or unmute yourself and start talking. Um, and let's, um, let's open up the conversation a bit so that, that you can get to ask your questions and comments from Peter and my conversation over the last little while. Who'd like to have a go? Yeah, I would. Thanks, Mara. Yeah, I would, yep. Um, when you're talking about um, formation, Peter, and about um, comparing how the church might change to how nurses and that do it with practical um, uh, experience as well as the education side of it. Years ago, I can remember, we used to have um, trainee ministers come and stop with the congregation for about six weeks and they would learn how that whole congregation from the council to the sale yards and to whatever else is and how the church works in that community. And from my experience, we've I've had a, we've had a couple here, um, that was very appreciative by the town the community as well as the church community and the candidate. And I feel we've gone wrong, the wrong way to... Um, We'll have these whistle-stop tours of half a dozen candidates whizzing through a presbytery or something in a, in a matter of days. Um, is that what you're talking about, going back to that six-week type of activity? Right. Myra, thank you. Um, and so I'll tell you a bit more about what candidates do at the moment, and I'm sure you're, you're right that the whistle-stop whistle type stuff is is an exposure, but it's not really a terribly good learning experience. No. Um, so typically someone preparing for ordained ministry will spend three years in, in formation. Uh, they will do field placement in each of those three years. And that field placement is normally within one ministry setting, a congregation or an agency or a chaplaincy, that sort of thing. So that's the first thing. They have a fairly in-depth experience 
in three different ways throughout their formation. Yep. Secondly, we've we've just begun, and I was grateful to Jeff and Mark for this, looking at how we can give candidates an opportunity to spend a, a more sustained period of time over the summer break in a in a regional rural setting. Mm. So we had a couple of candidates who did that over the summer last. Um, and I think one was three weeks, which is not quite the six weeks you're speaking of, Myra, but but a, a better experience of, of a different setting. Um, and candidates are enthusiastic about those opportunities. And when I talk about extending that field-based learning, I'm also talking about something, for example, that I'm working with our our colleagues in the School of Theology on at the moment is how we, there are three subjects, for example, <laughs> which are taught in the classroom and I think really should be learnt in the field. There's a subject called, called Christian ministry, there's a subject called pastoral care, and there's a sub subject called applied practical theology. And, and we don't need to spend too much time unpacking that, but I just think those, there's ways of shaping those subjects that students actually engage in that learning while they're in a ministry setting rather mm. than rather than or as a complement to yeah. their time in yeah. the classroom yeah. Yeah. so great and, question and i do, I do yeah. want to what you're pointing out is exactly right that those in-depth six mm. weeks two months experiences that's when learning occurs yeah 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 can i ask another question yeah. you're talking about um ordained ministry needed in in our congregations to um engage with the wider community and and that type of thing um, and you need we need that to keep the church going. Well, how is Synod or UTC looking at doing that in our Western Presbyteries? Because I, yeah. I, I'm in the Riverina Presbytery down near the mm. Murray River, and some of our congregations have been without an ordained minister for 18, 20 years. We here mm. in Finlay have been without one for 14 years. And but I think the majority of country congregations would be in a similar position to that to us is that there's no way we can afford a minister to help mm -hmm. us keep the church going. Mm -hmm. It's not that we haven't got a, a group of dedicated people. They might be elderly, but they're dedicated people and would like to be able to do what they can. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that we're sort of lacking that ordained minister. Yeah. So two things to say in response to that, Moira, is just to make, make it clear. I, I want to be sure I'd, the church is present where there are no ordained ministers, that's for sure. You know, that, that faithful people gathering and serving and worshipping, you know, in the church. But I, I, I don't mind saying it loud enough. I don't, unfortunately, I don't have a say in this, but I, I cannot fathom uh, why, um, and I think it's Synod, has drawn funding is not funding for the presence of ordained ministry in settings beyond you know beyond the, the sandstone curtain as it were I, I i just don't understand it i think it is a profound problem and in and for me it's the problem born of a misunderstanding you know um maybe i'm an example of this so i shouldn't say it, but ministers who who feel called to the life of the church uh, and called to, to serve serve the, the mission of the church and yet tend to stay just in a particular city that starts with S. Um, so I think the Synod needs to do something about funding for ministry beyond Sydney. And I think we need to begin being very serious about what, what we mean when we say to a minister that you are called to a ministry for the whole church. And uh, I mean, the world is different. People have significant commitments that sometimes mean they can't move beyond a big city, and I guess we all understand that. But I think we need to do something serious about that problem. I agree, Myra. And some of the um, response, sorry, Denise, some of the response then, of course, is around Saltbush, and, you know, we have three mm. Saltbush ministers about that, and some of the conversation we're having now is, well, what does it, what does it actually mean to be Christian community and how does how is ministry actually then engaged with in the life of those communities across the breadth of, of our synod? So Denise, you got a question there or a comment? 
<laughs> I've got a comment and um, certainly a question. Uh, well, it can be used as a question. As you were talking, Peter, I was thinking about that whole positioning of ministers and, you know, in Macquarie Darling we have, I think, three full-time ministers at the moment, you know, three full-time ordained ministers and that really it. And, and just like Myra was saying, many of our congregations have, um, you know, have run for years the sad thing for me is when they run always thinking we're just holding it here until we get a minister. You know, that sense of we can do it, we can do it because we know a minister will, you know, we want a minister to come and, and we won't hold again until we have an, an ordained minister. Now, that's a very cynical and general, generalistic view, but I, I think that's part of the culture and what we need and, and I think part of what Saltbush is starting to develop as well, that sense of, Ministers who maybe are a resource team, yeah. which is what you are, Jeff, I suppose, but more of that in rural areas because we can't afford ministers. But how we break that, and it's on both sides, you know, there are ministers, ordained ministers who who want that congregation, they want that security of a group of people who know them. Not everyone can cope in that resource situation. We also have congregations who who want to be, ha be able to have that minister as the central figure. So there's, there's, a lot to, there's a lot to think about, but I love the notion of that sort of group of people who are moving around the communities and, um, and how we develop our ministers in formation to, to see themselves in that way is probably part of the challenge, isn't it? Yeah, I'm sure you're right, Denise. And look, if I was is a sort of pin to wall and said, you must tell us what you think ministry looks like in the church in the future. I think it looks much more like that uh, cluster of congregations or circuit of congregations where there's an ordained minister who is part of a ministry team that's perhaps serving five or six congregations with lay leaders as well. Um, because I think that what saddens me at the moment is I just I don't hear much of a vision at all for what we can do for people in circumstances where they haven't had ordained ministry for 14 years. Mm -hmm. I'm not 100 percent sure what the answer is, but I just think it's such a pressing issue. I wish we were giving it far more attention than we are. Um, so yes, I think the model probably looks like ordained minister as as one of a team serving a, a region or a community of churches around five or six. And that impacts on my job because I then want to be able to say, okay, that gives me another uh, important thing that I want to be able to prepare ordained ministers mm. for, um, mm. for what ministry looks like into the future. And if it's that kind of that type of thing, then I, that's helpful to me to know. <laughs> And maybe it's having the room to have the options or, or to acknowledge that for some people in that team, they will be more sort of singularly focused than others. Like, you know, it's about allowing all different people to have the role in that team, isn't it? Yes. Hmm. I'll, I'll sneak in a comment here. When I was at Theological at UTC myself uh, as a candidate, one of our subjects, we, we had to meet and interview a significant church leader, you know, it was a church history type subject. So I met with, with someone who had been quite involved in the preparation of the uh, regulations and the constitution of the church. And he told me that uh, if there was one thing he really felt they got wrong, it was the processes around call of ministers. Mm. Um, and that it was just a bit of a clumsy coming together of the three different traditions, the Congregational, the Methodist and the Presbyterian, and it, and it, 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 it left things a little bit ambiguous. Um, I, I suspect, see, he was a former Methodist, and I think he probably wanted to be able to just tell people where to go <laughs> in, the, in that way. But I, I know where he, I think he was right. You know, we just, yep. uh, here we are a generation down the track saying how how is it possible that people in remote areas don't have ordained ministry even if it's not every week it's just a, a consistent presence of that ordained leadership so i think we're entering into a space of um of curiosity and exploring what that's actually going to look like and i think that that's a really great space for the church to be let's let's um keep working and and praying that that's what can be actually developed about what what does it actually look like 
And that's that's part of this conversation too. So other people, do they have uh, comments or questions? This is your chance to um, have, a, have a chat. Yeah. Um, Tom Matthews, uh, as, a, as a Bush chaplain, um, it, it, it's interesting. I just want to make a comment. On my wall, I have a, a, a banner from um, the most famous Bush chaplain. And one of his comments is, I'm here to build a presence, not a parish. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I think that's something to remember in ministry that we're, we're, we're here to bring the presence of God and the Holy Spirit. And, and that way, you know, moving around makes a lot of sense. Thanks. Thanks, Phil. Fabulous, Phil. Yeah. So Lynn Dunn saying um, Manning's um, looking to to move into the, a similar sort of uh, uh, space too, um, and uh, Lynn makes the point, which I think is really great, is about um, there's often sometimes uh, parochialism about congregations, and sometimes we actually have to let go of some of the old stuff too to embrace some new the new things about that too. Mm. Um, Betty's asking about lay preachers, Peter and mm. role of lay preachers in forming Christian community. Good, thanks, Betty. Yeah, I'd love to speak about lay preachers. Lay preaching is still a specified ministry of the Uniting Church, a profoundly important uh, ministry to the church. And, um, and it, it, the lay preacher is a classic example of someone who, who could, I think, be... Uh, nourished by, resourced by, supported by the presence of an ordained person, um, but is a leader in their own in their own way and in their own right. Uh, lay preachers still, there's still a lay preachers course, which is run through Uniting Mission and Education. Um, I, I can't claim it. In other words, not through the college itself, but we participate in those courses. I can't claim to know how many lay preachers we have, but it's still a, a fundamentally important ministry in the life of the Uniting Church. There might be some lay preachers in this gathering as we speak. Good, yeah. And again, I mean, I'm not, I'm uh, not old enough to have much memory of of my Methodist background, but but particularly within in a family that had Methodist roots. I still hear my father talking about the good lay preachers they used to have come through the, the parish and how that enriched how that enriched their experience of church. Um, so, yeah, I think we could be holding up a bit more the importance of the lay preachers in the life of our of the Uniting Church. So, your final chance, folks. Is there some more comments or questions you'd like to put to Peter and all of us? I think one of the things that has held the congregations back in a lot of cases has been that this is the way we've always done it. We can't change. We might lose something. And I think that is one of the bonuses we're going to get out of COVID-19, mm. the fact that all of that, that rug has been pulled out from under our feet and now we have to rethink everything, even the way we come together to worship, how we care for people, and I think that is the thing we have to pick up and run with and start to change people's ideas about what church actually is, that it's nothing to do with the buildings really, although they can be a helpful tool to help us, but it's the people that are important. And this has given us a chance to get out and into our communities to look after people that we wouldn't necessarily cross paths with at that deeper level. Great comment, Carolyn, I think it is. Is that right, Carolyn? Yeah, thank you. I, I really agree. I hope we learn something out of this COVID experience about the fact that relationships and community and, and our message are the most profoundly important things about who we are as church rather than buildings, institutions, you know, committees, that sort of stuff. So thank you so much, everyone. I think it's been a really rich uh, conversation and thank you so much to Peter uh, for being here with us and chatting with us. Uh, I really wanted to... Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, everyone. Yeah. So I really wanted to just finish up on just reiterating that um, point that, you, that Caroline's just made so perfectly about it's not so much about buildings, it's about relationship. Not so much about the institution, it's about community. 
And it's about proclaiming the hope of the gospel. And I think they're, they're three really salient points when we start to think about, well, what does Christian community look for, like for us into the future? So thank you so much for, for joining us. Look forward to having you with us again next next week when um, uh, Simon Hansford, the, the moderator, is going to join us and we're going to talk uh, some more about uh, what's happening for the Synod and, and how we might form commu Christian community then. So please be blessed this week and uh, stay safe and uh, look after yourselves and um, may the blessing of God be with you as you go your way. Bye for now. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you for joining Conversations in Christian Community today. Further podcasts are available on saltbushcommunity.uca.org.au website. Thanks for joining us for Salty Conversations. Bye for now.